wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. Do you feel you had good sexuality education growing up? I ask that question often when I'm with groups, and it's so sad to see how few people raise their hand and say yes. My guest today, Valda Ford, is here to change that for you. And I have to say, I love that she wrote me that she had easy pregnancies and two beautiful baby boys, but the second child had challenges from birth and some struggles. So many years ago, not unlike the struggles of many vulnerable women today, she wanted to change that and to be the voice for the voiceless. She became a certified educator in sexuality, a certified sexuality educator, and really started helping uneducated people with HIV. But ultimately, teaching the youth is just a band-aid in this, right? If you really want to make change, you have to teach parents. And just like me, she realized that so many parents don't have the knowledge and don't know what they don't know about sex. So I, I'm Deborah Pascali Benaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. And I'm so honored to have Valda Ford joining us today. She is both an RN who's worked on six continents. When I started looking at her work, I was like, wow. Valda sees every aspect of the human condition and strives to make good health easier to achieve. She brings the facts and helps with the fantasy. From what to know to what to do, she has answers and is not afraid of the questions. So she's here to talk about serious issues to satisfying solutions, having healthy babies, and having healthy sex. Welcome, Valda. It's truly an honor and a pleasure to have you here with us. Well, thank you, Deborah. It is my privilege indeed. Well, I love to ask the question and knowing what you wrote about your own births. Can you share a little bit more about your births and your birth stories and how that brought you to your journey and what you're doing today? I think that I was born to birth. I believe that I have one of those bodies that I could just get pregnant, keep walking, drop the baby put the baby at the breast, keep on going. I had absolutely healthy pregnancies. They were easy. Each time I was in labor, someone had to tell me, you're in labor. I was like, how could I possibly be in labor? I'm not hurting. Nothing is going on. Well, you can, you're in labor. My sister said, I can see that your color has changed and we need to get to the ER. That was the second time. The first time my neighbor now, I was married very young to a Marine. We were at Camp Lejeune, and we lived in a trailer park. My neighbor lived close enough that she saw me getting up to the bathroom over and over again. She saw the light go on, the light go off, the light go off. That tells you how closely we lived. And she knocked on my door about 4 a.m. She says, okay, let's go to the hospital, because we did not have a car, my husband and I. 
And I said, leave me alone. I'm fine. She says, you're due. Maybe you're a week overdue. We need to go to the hospital. That's how easy my pregnancies were. I did not know I was in labor. And those women were right each time. They would be present-day doulas and midwives in their own right because they knew all the signs. I just knew that I felt fine. I kept expecting something different to happen, and it didn't. So I also had easy deliveries. I have just an amazing, I'm made for it. I have the right pelvic structure. I've been very healthy. I was very fit. Never did drugs, alcohol, or tobacco. So I thought that I was doing everything right. But my second son was born with pulmonary valve atresia. So he was not getting good blood flow to his heart. The good thing is, that he was born near enough to an academic medical center that they whisked him away. They called me to say he only had about a 60% chance of surviving the exploratory procedure. I said, so what's my option? They said, none. If you don't do it, we believe he will die in a day or two. He had the exploratory surgery and they said, now we need to do the real surgery we don't know if he has more than a 30% chance of living, but again, he will die if not. Ultimately, they did the surgery. He had a brand new procedure that had just been approved within the prior three to four months. And while they told me he would not be better, he would not get up and move around, he wouldn't speak, maybe he would live, he was robust and rambunctious. So the beauty of exploring science, research, all that is beneficial to all of us and was to me at that point. Thank you. That must have been such a hard time. So just listening to your story, what strength that took on your part, and I'm sure for you and your family. So thank you for sharing. I also love that the women in your neighborhood, your sister and neighbors also were like you said, modern day doulas. And, you know, this is what we need to return to, right? Community, really supporting community. So I love that those people were there for you and to support you at that time. So having had your own birth stories and then being a nurse, right? How did you get involved and what sparked you to become a sexuality educator and dive into that aspect of supporting people? Well, let me take one step back to say the reason that I became a nurse is I was very frustrated when I would say as a parent, my son's heart rate is very elevated, or I don't like the way that he's breathing. I don't like his color. And many healthcare providers would just tell me, you don't know what you're talking about, little girl. I mean, I was 22 at the time. You don't know what you're talking about. You need to sit down in a corner and go be quiet. And I said, no, I don't. I need to talk to you. I need you to listen. Fortunately, the doctor who had been his surgeon, I had a fast track to him. And he would say, bring him into the hospital every time he needed to be admitted. But what I learned was that the paternalistic nature of healthcare can be such that no one is hearing you. They are busy telling you what you need to know as compared to listening to what you as a parent, as an intuitive, as a human being can see 
something is wrong with this small person that I have charge over. And I became a nurse to learn the language, to be able to have the conversation, to be able to say, I understand exactly what you're saying. I know what the standards and procedures are, and you need to listen to me. I found that many people do not have that. They don't know how to speak to providers. Many providers, and I'm one as well, get all caught up with the language and learning all that jargon and understanding all that responsibility of, I have to be the one to save you as compared to, we need to work as a team. And that is why I went into nursing. When my second son did die, and unfortunately, a lot of it was related to a lack of hearing on the part of his providers and negligence, ultimately. And that's a story for another day because it's just, it overwhelms me every time I think about it. So I have to be prepared to even tell the entire story. But ultimately, he died in a hospital where people were not listening to me, where there was miscommunication, and it nearly took my life. I mean, I was suicidal with, oh, could I have spoken up more? Could I have said, could I have demanded something? But I was in that vulnerable state then. By then, I was a nursing student, but still didn't have my words, didn't have my strength, didn't have my spine straightened the way that it needed to be. And once I got through school, once I graduated, once I figured out that I was going to use that as my why, then I learned how to be the person who speaks up when others don't speak, to be the champion, to be the advocate, to be the voice. Thank you so much, Felda. And I am so sorry for the loss of your son. Just want to honor that and just your powerful journey from that pain to purpose in becoming that RN and really helping so many people be heard, right? Find their voice and amplify their voice because I couldn't agree with you more in our patriarchal healthcare system. That's the challenge for many people. And I know that you agree this particularly for people of color and a lot of our racism and inequities in the system also is not listening and hearing everyone's voice and making sure that they're respected and a part of every decision. So just thank you for sharing your journey and thank you for where it's brought you to really be an advocate for so many. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I can tell you that vulnerability has many ways of being, doing. It can be from the person who is poor, who has lived in a rural area, who just is in awe of all things within the system. People who are new to the country, people who don't speak the language, people who have a different way of dressing or religion. There are just so many things that we as human beings bring our biases into the room. And I hope that more and more of us will do better with that. But that also brings me to what you started with, the same issue of who gets pregnant, who doesn't want to be pregnant, who is having their babies too early. A lot of that is associated with vulnerability as well. And in, in the USA, unfortunately, we have some of the worst outcomes for our infants and our mothers 
as compared to other industrialized nations. And another day and another time, we can delve deeply into that. But we can do yes. better just by knowing ourselves, our bodies, listening to our neighbors who do understand, yes, you look like you're in labor. Go do something about it. Get your doula. Get your midwife. Go to the hospital, whatever the situation is. Don't just sit there and assume that you need to have a lightning strike hitting in the middle of your vagina to tell you that little person is trying to come out because I've never had that experience. So, but in sexuality, the whole thing was no one taught me anything about sex. No one has taught 95% of the people that I ask about sex. It has been a hit and run kind of learning thing. I mean, why is it that we will teach our children how to brush their teeth a hundred different times? No, you're holding the toothbrush wrong. No, you're going up and down. No, you're going side to side. No, you should floss more. But when do we have that talk about sex? Once in a hurry when we're afraid and hoping that it will go away. And that just sets us up for not understanding about safety and pleasure. So I started off trying to make sure that people with HIV were paid attention to that we lost our bias. The original thing with HIV was horrible. Everyone just decided if you had it, you were a horrible person. You were sinning against God. It was a punishment for something in another life, whatever the case. And I saw providers as well have biases. If you got HIV because you got a blood transfusion, oh, it's good, it's fine, we'll take care of you. But if you had it from being a person who was a sex worker, you probably deserve that. But as I was teaching how not to get HIV, what I learned is no one knew anything about sex. <laughs> no one knew anything. <laughs> I took some courses through the Centers for Disease Control. I learned how to be a trainer in their evidence-based interventions specifically for youth. And one had an intervention with parents where I would tell the parents what I'm going to tell the kids so that they don't jerk them out of the class the second I say the word vagina. Wow. You know, oh, oh, can't you use another word? No, let's talk about body parts. But I would talk to the parents and I would say, we're going to talk about the vagina or we're going to talk about the clitoris or we're going to talk about penile penetration. And they'd be like, what are those words? Okay, okay. And if I'd say, what age should you teach your kids? They were thinking, 13, 14, 15. I'll say no puberty is starting at eight, nine, and 10 because we're overweight these days. All sorts of things are going on in our poor little bodies that are putting us into early puberty. So that means that your little nine-year-old may be physically able to get pregnant or to make someone pregnant. And they were like, that's impossible. No, it's not. But the fun thing was, as I taught the parents, what I found is they knew so little and were actually eager to learn in a comfortable and comforting environment that I taught the kids, but I taught the parents the most because they needed to be the reinforcers. And I taught them about pleasure and I taught them about safety. I taught them about using dialogue that if you were in a near date rape situation, you could use some verbal judo to get out of. And I taught the parents, you have to say, you're better than this momentary thing while you're too young to understand the consequences. And then what happened later, we found that 
Some people didn't even know they were pregnant. After they got pregnant, they didn't know if they should have sex never again or if they needed to wait six months. I work with people in other countries who've been quite angry with me when I've said six to eight weeks is fine. And they're like, oh my God, we usually say a year so our men will leave us alone. That was culturally inept that I really needed to read the room, Valda, read the room. And understand that before I went in telling someone, I wanted to find out what was the standard, what was the norm, and how to give great information that was accurate in line with the cultural norms and practices. Yeah. Ah, I'm just like got a whole bunch of things floating in my mind from your great stories and how you came to that. But I know that many people that are listening may be pregnant, may be parents or a doula that wants to support parenting. So as you kind of bring this education, do you have a few things that you could say that are really important tips for someone starting that journey? They're not even sure what they don't know. You mean about sex in general, about sex after pregnancy? Sex in general, okay. Sex in general. Yeah, sex in general. Number one, we are created to create small copies of ourselves. Whether or not that's what you want to do, that is what our bodies are primed to do. So as a parent, it's very important if you're telling your children, these are normal feelings and this is what you do about them. Secondarily, if you're a grown-up and you're thinking about, well, I don't like to have sex. There are many people who would come to me when I have seminars and they say, I don't like sex. I don't want to have sex. I do it because it's a duty. It's necessary. And I say, That is unfortunate because our body has all these wonderful chemicals trying to help us have a good time. We have to start with our minds, though. And if you've been taught that it's a duty that is necessary, if you have unfortunately had bad experiences, especially if the first experiences were bad, it was painful, it was frightening, it was embarrassing, then you may have to work on it. But You need to get your head straight. That's what my cousin always said. Get your head straight, girl. Get in the game. Think about the fact that sex is and should be beautiful. It should be amazing because what what other thing is going on in our lives that our body is priming us to enjoy? What else is there? There are all those good chemicals in there that make you enjoy sex if your head is in the right place for them to work. So number one, when you are having a discussion with your partner, well, maybe even before then, do you want to find out what brings you pleasure on your own? If you're afraid, ashamed, don't know, there are plenty of videos. Don't go to a porn site. Go to one from from an educator to learn about things that help you. If you're a couple and you've gone down the wrong path for so long and as a couple who has lied to each other all along, oh, that feels so great, so wonderful, that's amazing. The whole time you're thinking, I wonder if I can get to the store and back before my parents come over. Did I get the dog food? Your mind is everywhere except on the sex. Consider to start off without having physical interaction in the genital region. You're just sitting in a room. 
it's dark if you like if you're embarrassed just start with a totally dark room start with one with the right temperature and then touch each other come close to touching each other do you remember the experience of the first kiss when you wanted it like when you were with that little boy or girl who you wanted them to reach over and touch you you wanted them to have that accidental arm cross and you wanted that. You felt the tingle of it. You can do that. You can recreate that by going in a room, having some sensory deprivation, turning off the phones, the television, even the music. Not everyone is good with music in the background, but do what works for you. Get the temperature so that you're not cold and you're not sweating. And just have some exercises, whether you're just going to touch with a hand on the arm you're going to blow on the neck. You're going to just do a soft back rub and a tickle up and down the spine. These are things where if the expectation isn't at the end, you have to want to be penetrated. It might be fun. And then guess what? When your body starts working and your juices start to flow and you might say, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yes. When you are working with your body and not against your body, when you are honest with your partner, and it's sometimes hard to go back to say, you know what? We've been together for five years, but sex with you sucks. And I don't mean in a positive way. <laughs> it is horrible. You can't say that, right? You can't hurt people's feelings and recover from that. So you could say, I tell people in my seminars, tell them I was talking to this nurse named Valda and she said, Let's try some things. You don't have to say it was horrible, at least not that way. You say, well, let's try some things. We've been together a while. Let's experiment. Let's see how it goes. Now, you may have to later say, you know, I'm sorry, but you have to do a better job of cleaning yourself before we get into bed. Or maybe you're one of those people who likes it more au naturel. You might have to do the sub negotiating. But sex is amazing. It's fun. It should be playful. It should be playful where you're laughing, you're talking. When I did my study with the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and I took a program in Canada, what I found is that people in their 60s and 70s have some of the best sex ever because they have learned each other. They have learned that, yeah, when we want to have sex, we shut everything off. We bring a little picnic basket in the bedroom. We may or may not have music, but we don't want to be distracted by anything else. And we are paying full attention to our personal needs and the needs of our partners. They can exist together. Yeah. And I love how you said people in their 60s or 70s, right? But at any age that you just really learn each other, so many nuggets of great advice. Now, for parents that are listening, right? They're like, boy, would we like to shut everything off and just have a set amount of time. But in reality, that baby waking up at any moment or life changes. And I know that you do a lot of work too with vulnerable people and especially vulnerable parents that may have a lot of other challenges going on. So what other tips? Take us deeper. What would you say to them in that phase of their life? Yes. And when I'm talking about 60s and 70s, it's just because they've been together long enough to figure it out. But you can right. figure it out a lot sooner than that. But when you have young people, little tiny folks who are demanding and they must have their needs met, 
Sometimes it is best to call for help. It is perfectly okay to enlist the aid of a friend, either even another newer parent who is saying, okay, I need half a day on Thursday. I'll give you half a day on Friday or whatever the case might be. Parents, in-laws, paid people. When you can, enlist the aid of someone who understands that you just need some time to yourself. You need time to feel good about yourself, whether it's to go to get your hair done or a pedicure or a massage, my all-time favorite thing. If you can allow yourself to take care of yourself and stop giving from the core, give from the overflow. But in order to give from the overflow, you have to have regeneration time. You have to have the ability to not let your core get wiped out. And you can do that when the baby isn't sleeping, the spouse is demanding, the dog is barking, homework has to be done. Plan for having help. And even if you don't have a lot of money, every situation I've known, every community I've been in, there are people who would love to be the ones taking care of the baby for a little while. And a lot of times it is us as parents who are afraid to relinquish that. We're overly frightened or we don't know. So make sure your person is educated as to what to do as your babysitter. Make sure the conditions are safe in the room for the baby. No extra things in the crib, no extra pillows, no extra toys, no overheating the child. My poor son, I'm, I'm really surprised he made it because I was always putting extra clothes on him. But that aside, when you want to have a great sexual relationship, a great intimate relationship, or just to recharge your batteries, ask for help. It's always there. You just have to ask for it. Great advice. And I know people that are listening are also saying, how can they connect with you? Because I know that you're offering so many programs. Can you tell us a bit about what you offer and how people can reach you, Valda? Awesome. Yes. What I do mainly now is I'm a consultant to agencies that have Healthy Start and other infant mortality and maternal mortality reduction programs. That's my passion, my premier passion right now is to make sure that mothers are healthy so they have healthy babies and we have healthy communities. However, my fun time is to help people learn how to have pleasure. I have seminars that are the equivalent of supper club programs. We have a program, we have dinner, we have a little homework, we have some Q&A, some safe Q&A where you can answer questions honestly while your partner does not know what answer you gave, but then we can develop the conversation afterwards to say what is needed. For instance, if I ask the question, what do you love most when you're being intimate or what do you like least? Then that can be the discussion without your person knowing that you said, oh, their toenails are scratching me up (laughs) anyway. But yes, just reach out to me at Valda at ValdaFord.com. My website is ValdaFord.com. And you can find me on social media, any number of places, just with Valda Ford. Thank you so much, Valda. You gave us so many great nuggets of information for everyone. We thank you for staying with us and listening today. 
And we hope that you'll share what were some of your favorite tips? What are you going to incorporate to bring more pleasure and great sex into your life? So definitely share your favorite comments and takeaways, tag us. And thank you for joining us next time for another episode of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.